Our reading this morning is from Psalm 42 and 43. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul first for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food today and night, while they say to me all the, all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How would I go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend me, Defend my cause against ungodly people from this deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre of God, God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall praise again, praise him, my salvation and my God. We are taking a bit of a pause uh, this week for one week only in our little series um, through the Sermon on the Mount. It just feels, um, it just feels timely that we just park for a moment and we just um, you know, allow the word of God to comfort our souls. And so that's what I hope to achieve from today's uh, sermon. Uh, It's from Psalm 42 and 43. Uh, Why are we using two psalms rather than one? Well, it seems to be uh, they're probably originally one psalm, and hopefully you'll you'll see why that is in a little while. Um, But what we're going to be looking at this morning um, is this, I suppose, this condition um, that we could call or or, um, refer to. It's not in the Bible, but just for the sake of... Uh, discussion today. We'll call it spiritual depression. And this, this idea of, of being cast down in soul, in the very sort of deepest parts of you, uh, feeling uh, down and, and, and lowered down. And so what I hope to do is to, to talk about that t- together and, and uh, try and ask, well, why does that happen? Where does that, where does that come from? And then what can we do about it if you in any way sort of associate with some of these things we have in the past, or maybe this will equip you in the future uh, for if you feel or sense that you are in this state that the Bible describes as spiritual depression. Um, And so we're going to be thinking about what can you do about it if that's you, all right? Uh, Some sort of tools, I suppose, that we can use uh, to to address these issues that we face. So first of all, then, we're going to spend a few moments this morning looking at what, what is spiritual depression. What, what is it all about? And uh, it's worth having those verses in front of you because um, we're not sort of going through, a, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a, 
uh, order from start to finish will be jumping around a little bit just to try and pull out some of the main themes that you can, you can see here. And so what is it? What is this thing that we're talking about here that, that I'm, I'm terming uh, and others have termed spiritual depression? Um, well, let's land, for example, in, in, in verse 5 of the first section in, in chapter or in Psalm 42. Why are you, this is where we get it from. Why are you cast down? He speak, oh, my soul. He's speaking to the innermost parts of himself, right? Why, why, are, you lo- why are you so low? Why do, why do you feel like you have been thrown down to a very great depth? He's describing, as we'll see, this spiritual condition which, which, which feels like the deepest valley you've ever been in. It's a depression of the spirit. Um, why, what he, he says to himself, why are you in turmoil within me? Why, why, why do you have such unrest? Why, why are you so unsettled? It just seems to be this sort of sense of depression and lowness of spirit at the most profound level. Um, he gives us more details in verses 1 and 2, for example, of, of the beginning, um, Psalm 42. He says this, As the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you. That's how he's feeling. Why, why, why is the deer in this, in this sort of picture... Um, picture why, why is the deer panting for water it's not normal is it for a deer to be panting to be utterly dry yeah I mean deer uh, much with other other animals will usually go to drink in a familiar location um, you know they will they will go to the same place or the, a collection of places where they know water will always be and they can go and, and drink and be quenched but for whatever reason he's, he's seeing and describing like a deer I suppose as as, as, as one that is, is is not able to drink where it usually goes. Uh, it's dried up. The water is dried up, or maybe the deer has found itself in some foreign, ter- foreign territory and doesn't know where to go and find water, or maybe it's dried, o- dried away or something like that. And so we get this image of this deer uh, desperately darting around, panicking, thinking that any moment now it might expire, using what little energy it has to search for water. So crucial is it to stay alive. And the psalmist here who's dealing with this condition called spiritual depression, in the same way he is saying, my soul is, is panting after you. Just desperately searching, thirsting. You know, your presence, God, evades me. It's not in the usual places. I, the, the places where I usually go, where I'm familiar, where I can know you and find you and experience you, you're not there. I, I, I've done that. The usual practices and expectations, they're just not working. They're just not there anymore. He says in verse 4, I remember how it used to be, how, how I used to go to worship and, and, and be filled with joy and, and praise and, and, and gathering with the other worshippers. But he says, that is no longer my experience. See, this depression of the soul that he's describing here, to him, God seems absent. He just, he just can't feel God. And he's desperate that that feeling goes away. But it's more than just a feeling, isn't it? It's more than just a sense. <clears throat> um, because he says, for example, in verse 3, um, my tears have been my food day and night. It's a physical thing as well, a physical manifestation. My tears have been my food day and night. He's weeping. He's in sorrow. Um, sadness. You know, day and night is continual. He says in verse 9, why do I go mourning? It feels like a death here. It feels like a loss. 
He's lost his appetite, most likely. Only his tears have been his food day and night. He can't eat anything else. Even in verse 10, he says, as with a deadly wound in my bones. He has this sort of deep pain, this pain within himself. So whether it's in the spiritual realm of feeling far from God, that brings him pain, or the physical realm of aching bones and weeping, or even in the psychological realm of this depression that's descending on him, all three are involved in this condition called spiritual depression. Maybe you're surprised to hear that. Maybe you're surprised that such a phenomenon can affect all parts of the human condition. But we shouldn't be, because the Bible is quite clear. God, God created all three. Uh, he created you as you are, and uh, um, a, a bearer of God's image, and uh, with a mind, and with a body, and with a, with a spirit, Different terms are used, I suppose, in, in, in the way the Bible describes that, but that's generally how it is. And he created human beings to be a balance and a unified, harmonious whole. But, but, but when humankind decided to go their own way, at the, in the Garden of Eden, at the fall, as we call it, <coughs> rather than God's way, when they rebelled against his, his loving leadership, that balance between those three parts of you uh, was disturbed. It was disrupted. And so uh, we can see a, a spiritual problem will have psychological and physical effects. A physical problem, likewise, can have spiritual and psychological effects. You see, the three are linked together, and, and, and a problem in one zone can affect a problem in the other two zones. For example, if you have a common cold or, or the flu, as we call it now, and um, you, you, know, you know when you have a virus on board, you get exhausted... Uh, you feel rotten, you know, it often sinks your mood, it gives you low energy. Sometimes you even feel spiritually dry. You know, you just, because you're unwell and you're snuffling, you just feel, you know, God, God isn't clicking for you, I suppose, in the same ways. And yet with a bit of vitamin C and a bit of sleep and just a bit of rest, these things improve. I suppose the point that I'm trying, trying, to, trying to make here is that a problem in one realm will affect and come out in the other realms. They just will, that's the way you've been built. And I know, I know this from personal experience, and I know this from professional experience as well, as, a, as someone with almost 20 years of, 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 of um, experience in medical practice. Um, I, I, I see this, and I see that the, my industry, medicine, you know, uh, modern medicine, isn't very well equipped to deal with these, these three things. Um, and I, I think that we have split the human being into, counter, you know, into, into component parts and, and, and I think the, the medical industry and, and, and medicine and all the rest of it is very good at dealing with the physical problem. Okay? If you have a crash in the car or if you have a heart attack, we're, we're really good, you know, uh, relatively speaking, we're very good at dealing with that. We're not so bad at dealing with the, the mental and the psychological uh, problems that, 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 that we have as well. And we're getting better at that. That's maybe something I'm seeing even in the last 20 years. We're getting more uh, equipped and aware of dealing with the, the psychological, the mental things. But modern medicine is, is largely ignorant of the other realm, of the spiritual realm. Um, in fact, I would say it ignores it completely. I mean, can you imagine the psalmist for a second going to his GP or her GP, whoever... And saying to, well, doctor, I've been, I've been crying day and night. 
Uh, my tears are my food. My bones suffer mortal agony. The, the, the GP, and I'm married to a GP, so there's no offence against GPs. The GP is probably going to listen and think, well, I can give you a painkiller for your, your sore bones. Um, I can give you an antidepressant for your low mood, and I'll refer you to orthopedics to get someone to look at your, your legs. That's how we'll, we'll think, and that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. It's a right thing. And even to shift the, the realm into, into the realm of the church, <clears throat> churches, we can do this too. We can, we, we can outsource psychological or, or, you know, issues or whatever it is, you know, outsource it and thinking, well, that's nothing to do with us. We'll leave that to the professionals. Um, if someone needs uh, counseling or therapy or whatever, we, we just sort of put it all out there. And, and that's not, we deal with the spiritual, not, not the psychological and certainly not the physical, which is very understandable. But again, it's this sort of one-dimensional approach to the human condition. You are more than just a soul on a stick. You're of a body and a mind. And it's about time we start to recognize that. By the way, I'm not in any way saying that, that Christians should never get therapy or see a psychiatrist. Absolutely, they should. Um, see the specialists. See those who have given their lives to studying and understanding the human mind and the human emotions and behaviors. Absolutely. But what I am saying is that as, as, as people who care for people, body and soul and mind, surely our approach must be uh, you know, aware of these things, playing an active role uh, in, in serving people in that sense. So you've heard a little bit about <clears throat> spiritual depression. This is really just an overview, I suppose, from these two psalms. And as you, as you listen to some of these things, and as Louise read them to us earlier, I wonder... Um, if any of these little phrases rings any bells to you, <coughs> I wonder if you can relate to any of, any of the things that came up here in, in, in some way. I, I think we've all experienced something along these lines at some stage in our lives, and we certainly will uh, in the future, where we say, look, God, I, I, I know you are there in my mind. I, 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 I know you're there, but I just, I just can't feel you. You know, the water has run dry. The, the things that usually give me joy and pleasure and, and stir my faith are, are just not doing it anymore. If you have spiritual depression, you, you will start to think that God has forgotten about you or he doesn't care. If you have spiritual depression, you'll start to have a deep thirst that is not being quenched no matter what you try and where you go and what you do. It will not be quenched. And as I say at the start, if this isn't a present reality for you this morning it is likely that you will be affected by this in some form later in life at some point. And we have multiple Psalms in the Bible with the book of Job in the Old Testament, with the book of Lamentations and so forth. All of these show that this condition of spiritual depression is, is common. And, and that's okay. So we thought a bit about <clears throat> what is spiritual depression, the, the downcast of the very inner part of you. So what is it? Secondly, then, we're going to ask, well, why, why do we get it, then? Where, do, where does this come from? If this is more common than, than we, than we um, usually say, <clears throat> where, where does it come from? Well, the go-to answer, you know, if we ask ourselves in churches and religion, you know, among religious circles, why do we get this? Um, often the religious answer is, well, you get this because you've done something wrong. You, you've sinned. 
Um, There's a fault in you. That's why you're feeling like this. That's why you are having spiritual depression in some form or other. And so the answer will be, well, in order to, to get better, to get out of that rut, you need to look within yourself and, and, and you need to identify that sin and you need to confess that sin and, and be sorry before God and then he might just pluck you out of that rut and, and help you. That's often what we'll say. Maybe not say it as directly as that, but that's often how we would approach it. Or alternatively, we might say, well, it's maybe not just a sin thing, you know, you've just offended God, but it might just be a faith thing, you know? Uh, you're just not believing God enough. Um, look, look at all the promises of God, and, 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 and uh, they're there, and they're clear in the Bible, but you're just not holding on to them strongly enough. And, and so you need to claim the promises of God. You need to let go of yourself. You need to let God take control. Yield yourself to him, we might say. Just trust him more. And yet, in this psalm, we see somebody who neither has an obvious evident sin to be confessed, nor a lack of faith to be strengthened. doesn't have either of those things. In fact, most often, I think those things are not the root cause of spiritual depression. They may be, or an influence, or they influence your reaction, but they're not necessarily always the root cause. The psalmist still believes in God, Right? He still knows God is out there somewhere. It's just that he can't feel him. It doesn't, doesn't feel close to him. Someone has said once before, actually, <clears throat> see if you can get your head around this. Someone has said once before that actually a sense of God's absence is a sign of his presence. Because if he truly were not there ever and never existed, then why would you sense that he is far from you if he's not there? And so we have someone here agonizing who wants to feel God, who wants to know him intimately and personally, and yet that evades him. So <clears throat> if you're ministering or serving or helping uh, a fellow um, you know, member in church or just a friend or something, um, going through something like this, saying to them, just believe in God more or just find some sin that you're obviously holding on to and confess that, whilst well-intended, can add insult to injury. You know, it can, it can provoke a crisis of faith. My goodness me, there's obviously a massive sin here that I can't see. And, and <clears throat> you may be familiar with a, 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 a few people in the Bible called Job's comforters. Um, <clears throat> Job, as I mentioned earlier, is, a, is actually a very large section of the Old Testament. Um, it's, 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 a, it's a massive uh, poem, I suppose, uh, um, a poetic retelling of somebody's suffering. Uh, a man called Job had everything taken away from him. And uh, throughout his time of suffering, his comforters come along and they, they, they say things, well, just believe in God more and just confess that there's obviously a sin. That's what they say, and yet they actually do him more harm. And they eventually are, are, are told off by God. So we must think carefully when we are trying to help our friends and trying to help ourselves. But ultimately, I think we don't usually know why we become spiritually depressed. We don't know where it comes from. But let me just um, <clears throat> throw up a few uh, factors, I think, that might predispose you. I'm starting to sound like a doctor, I'm sorry. Uh, some factors that might predispose you from becoming spiritually depressed. 
The first factor might just be your makeup. It's just the, the way that you are wired. Um, some people are glasses half empty, some people are glasses half full. Um, you know, some people are give me that glass, I want to drink it. It's just the way that we are built. And so some people um, are more introspective, they're more likely to look within themselves. Um, they're you know, maybe more likely under certain conditions to have a bleaker view of things. Perhaps it's a learned behavior, right? If you were brought up in a household, well, that's how you deal with these things. You just sort of go in yourself and your just head goes down. And um, maybe that's just the way that you've, you've, you've seen it done before. And that's how you are. Um, your past will play into it. Your experiences will play into it. Your understanding will play into it. So some of us just have that susceptibility. And that's not a wrong thing. It's just good to recognize if that happens to be you. The second factor, I think, that may play into why we get um, spiritual depression is, is our situation. Okay, so not our makeup, but our situation. Uh, and we can see here um, that the psalmist is, is, is isolated. Um, look at verse 6, for example. Um, he says, <clears throat> my, uh, of, of chapter 42, My soul is cast down, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Where, where is this place that he is referring to it's not a common spot referred to in the bible uh, often we focus on jerusalem and the, you know the, the, the mount of olives and and, and such like but uh, we don't really talk too much about mount hermon and that's because it's quite a way away um mount hermon is, is a large mountain <coughs> about 2800 meters above sea level um, which is quite big and just to put that into perspective sleep donald is about 850 meters above sea level so it's probably you know, quite, quite a bit higher than that. Ben Nevis, if you've ever climbed that, it's the highest um, uh, um, in, in, in GB. It's, it's 1,345 meters, so um, about at least two Ben Nevises, I suppose. Mont Blanc, the highest mountain in Europe, is 4,810 meters above sea level. So it's pretty, Mount Hermon, being 2,800 meters, is pretty high. Um, it's not the highest. Um, and uh, this little place, Mizar, is one of the hills in that sort of mountain range. Okay? But it's nowhere near Jordan. Uh, sorry, it's nowhere near Jerusalem. It's about 250 kilometers north of Jerusalem in modern-day Lebanon, uh, on the Lebanon-Syria border. You can actually go there and ski. There's, there's snow for most of the year up on Mount Hermon and the, and the, and the range. And uh, there's a hotel if you wish to book in and go skiing on Mount Hermon if you want. Um, but uh, mostly snow, uh, occasionally, obviously, uh, yearly then that snow will melt and then that rain, uh, it will turn to uh, waterfalls and then actually forms the tributaries, the beginnings of the Jordan River. So that's where it all comes from. And the stuff melts and trickles together and forms little rivers and then it becomes this huge river Jordan that flows all the way down um, to, to Jerusalem and outside, <clears throat> outside that. Why am I giving you this little uh, um, travel log here? Well, it's because we have to understand the situation of the psalmist. Why is, why is he there? What, because he's alone. And he's isolated. And he's miles away from J Jerusalem. 250 kilometers would take, if you were to walk it and never stop, it's... And according to Google, it's 50-plus hours on foot. Back in those days, they wouldn't have had anywhere near, obviously, the same road systems. We're talking a week of walking to get back. Why is he there? 
He's away. Uh, and you don't have it on your sheet, but if you're reading in the Bible, <clears throat> the beginning of the psalm actually uh, has um, a little inscription. It says, to the choir master, uh, Maskil, which is a type of song, of the sons of Korah. It was written by a group of, of musicians. Uh, they were Levites from the tribe of Levi in, in, in Israel. Uh, and they were tasked with being the sort of uh, the worship leaders, I suppose, the temple musicians. Uh, they would have led people in song and, 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 and poetry, the artists, I suppose. That would have been their role. And yet here the psalmist is, miles away on his own. So isolation is certainly a part of it as well, away from the community. Um, <clears throat> so we've got our susceptibility, we've got isolation. And, and thirdly, and finally, the other influence to spiritual depression as to why it starts is opposition. Um, <clears throat> again, as you read through, you pick up bits and pieces that, that, that somehow or other um, he's hearing or people are speaking or have spoken in the past, jeering him, taunting him, says in verse 3, where is your God? Look at you. In verse 10, they're taunting him, it says. In, in verse 1 of, chap of, of chapter 43, you know, he describes them as deceitful and unjust people pressing him down, jumping on him, adding salt into the wound. <clears throat> so most often we don't know uh, where spiritual depression comes from. We don't know why it happens. We don't know why God permits it. We don't know why he allows it. Um, why he causes the clouds to block the sun, we don't know. Perhaps it's to draw us deeper into him. Perhaps it's so that we learn to cry out to him in ways that we wouldn't have done when it's sunny. Perhaps it's to show us more of ourselves. Perhaps it's to teach us more of him. Who knows? Some of the greatest, I suppose, and most influential uh, leaders of the church have struggled with something aligning to spiritual depression. Charles Spurgeon, the great Victorian Baptist preacher in London, described the black dog the black dog of depression that would follow him, and, and, and he would often fall into these sort of uh, moments of great darkness. Martin Luther, <clears throat> the famous reformer from many, many years ago, uh, was famous for uh, wrestling with the, the devil and uh, throwing ink pots at him and all sorts of things, but struggling with this sort of spiritual opposition. George Whitfield, one of the leaders of the great revival, um, of the 18th century, described great agonies of soul and these physical manifestations that went on for days and days, even weeks. The Catholic mystic St. John of the Cross described the dark night of the soul. It's something that even the greatest and the good go through. It's something the psalmist goes through. And I think it's something that we ourselves will go through from time to time. <clears throat> So we thought about what is spiritual depression. We're, we're thinking about why do we get it. And so thirdly and finally, I want to concentrate um, in a little more detail on how do we deal with it. How do we deal with it? What do we do? <clears throat> and I think, I think the psalm here is very, very practical. I think the Bible in general is very practical. It doesn't just ask questions. It gives answers as well. And so I want to give you actually six, uh, six steps um, to how to deal with how to process spiritual depression. If you are struggling with that now, if you are suffering in some way or other, or in order to equip you for the future when, when you may have this, what can you do? <clears throat> um, and they're, they're all fairly, fairly quick. Um, first one then, first step, if you, if, you recognize, uh, if you have spiritual depression, the first thing you do is recognize the problem. 
Okay, in verses 1 and 2 of, of, of the opening chapter, uh, recognize the problem. Say things are not right. There, there is a gap between what I know about God and how I feel. You know, there, there is the objective truth out here about God that the Bible teaches me, and then there is my subjective experience of that truth. <clears throat> I might feel far from God. I feel cold. I am parched for thirst. I have a need, I have a desire, and yet that is unfulfilled. <coughs> and so that is crucial for us to recognize. Um, <clears throat> it's crucial for us to recognize the problem. I think if we bury it, or deny it, or somehow suppress these issues that we have, then they'll either forcefully rise to the surface one day like a volcano going off, with their physical and their psychological manifestations, or will eventually just grow colder and less interested and we'll, 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 our souls will just sort of fizzle out. So the first thing we do is recognize the problem. <clears throat> Listen to ourselves and be honest with where we stand. That's the starter. Number two then, the second uh, uh, tool, I suppose, how do we deal with it, is understanding that there is actually a way of processing this. There is a way of dealing with it. Um, the Psalms are full of it, and so you can, you can you really help yourself by reading a few Psalms and, and, and allowing them to fill in your words and, and lead you forward. Um, <clears throat> the Psalms are full of, of people grappling with some form, I suppose, of spiritual depression. They, yeah, they do it with honesty, and, and, and the, the Psalms that we're looking at today show that it's okay. In fact, we are urged, encouraged to ask probing questions. You know, this is how we deal with it. <clears throat> Why have you forgotten me, God? Why do I feel like this? Why do I feel like you've rejected me? Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? It's okay to ask these questions. It's okay to cry out to God and to say these things. Don't hold back. Don't, don't think, oh, I'm being rude before God. I better not say that. We have here psalms with very brutal, I suppose, very honest, very direct language. And it's okay for you to use that to God as well. Just cry out. Ask questions. So recognize the problem, understand there's a way of dealing with it. Number three, <clears throat> remember former blessings. Remember former blessings. Um, <clears throat> signs of grace in the past. You may not be feeling it now, that spiritual depression, but the experiences that you've had, think back on those, says the psalmist. Dwell on those. Those periods like in verse 4 here, when your heart was soaring, when you would go with the throng, it says, and lead them in procession to the house of God with shouts and gladness and songs of praise. Think back to those things. They may not define how you feel right now, but they remind you that God has been active in your life. You have had periods of joy and, and flourishing and, <clears throat> and, and, and wonder when you have personally felt those things. And the idea is, and the, the idea with, with thinking back is that it will stir you. It will stir your heart and you will say to yourself, if he did it then, if that's how it felt then, then surely he can do it again. He can do it now. He says in verse two, doesn't he? He calls him my living God. He's <clears throat> not a dead God. He's not a dusty, dusty, dry God from the history books or the old Bible. He is the living God. He is alive. He is my God. 
you can do it again. <clears throat> and for you, it might literally mean you will have to take a pen and a piece of paper or a notebook and write down those things that you remember from the past, the former blessings that you have had, maybe the worship experiences in a church setting or a conference that you've been to, maybe the answers to prayer that God has given you that you've cried out and prayed, maybe the general blessings that you've, you know, you've, <clears throat> you've got in your life, your family, your, your home, your, your, you know, your social, whatever it happens to be, list them out pen and paper. If you're more one of these sort of external processor type people, then find someone to talk it through to. And that's good as well. If you're internal, go pen and paper. If you're external, talk it through. Even if you're talking it out alone, that's okay. I like talking to myself. Um, doesn't necessarily mean you're weird or, or um, well maybe it does. Uh, you're, you're mad, um, but it's just good sometimes to verbalize what, what you're thinking, and that's okay. <clears throat> but the point is, Take yourself in hand and remind you of yourself of former blessings. Okay, <clears throat> step four. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. Number four, approach God boldly. Okay, do it. In other words, audaciously, shamelessly approach God. Wrestle with God himself. Wrestle with his revelation. Wrestle with what he has said of himself to be true. Like the Old Testament um, character called Jacob who said to God I will not let you go unless you bless me and he wrestled with him all night hold God to his word he has spoken it for a reason he has recorded it in, in the Bible for a reason and so you can say even on the basis of what we've been reading this morning God you say you are the rock I know you are the rock come and be a rock for me now Come, come and help me experience you as the rock. Help me to know you as the rock. This psalm gives just that one, one word. You, you can pick up other words as well. Plenty of words that you can hold before God. And, and, and it might feel cheeky. It might feel disrespectful. But it's not because he has given you these words. And so the, the psalms are, are so bold. And they're saying, use these words and pray them back to God. Maybe a word jumps out at you this morning. <clears throat> Waste no time. Approach God boldly with that word and see what he does. <clears throat> the fifth step is to preach the truth to yourself. Yes, you're approaching God boldly and you're praying the word back to him. <clears throat> but number five, you start to talk to yourself. You preach the truth to yourself. Um, the psalm, as we've said, is, is littered with with truth statements of God about, about what he's like. But now you need to start speaking that to yourself. And in fact, that's what the psalmist is doing. He does it, I don't know if you noticed, um, three times he repeated the same phrase, almost like a chorus in a, in a song. In verse five, why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And he says that again in verse 11, the exact same words. And then if you flip over again, you see right at the end, the last section of verse chapter 43, he says the same thing. Why are you cast down? He's saying the same thing over and over. Do you see that? He's saying to himself, to his soul, put your hope in God. Come on. Cling to him. I will praise him. He is my savior. He is my God. He's, he, he's, he's going around. He's preaching that truth 
<clears throat> not to someone who's listening necessarily, but he's speaking it to himself. He's saying, oh, my soul. He's not talking to God there. He's talking to himself. He doesn't feel it, right? <clears throat> he doesn't own that hope internally, I suppose, in one sense. But he recites it over and over again. I think <clears throat> for, for us modern people, we, we sort of go the other way, don't we? Uh, the order that we generally will, will, our sort of preset order, I suppose, is that, that we believe something, we feel something, and then that drives us to action, right? So it, it, that, that's the order we do. And we say, well, I need to feel right about this before I can do this thing. And that's not a bad thing. That's, that's often how we, we think and make decisions. <clears throat> but the psalmist here is saying that's actually a different way. There's a different way. There's a different order. Because the psalmist is showing here that when you're in the depths of spiritual depression, you're not going to feel particularly good about doing anything. And therefore, if you're just listening to yourself and how you're feeling, the chances are you'll just stay there for a long time. And we're certainly not talking about ignoring that, that we've already discussed that this morning. But what he is saying is in the depths of spiritual depression, he is talking to himself, he is pushing truth into himself until he starts to feel it. That's the way it goes. It's, it's, it's contra-logical uh, for, for us, I suppose, as modern people, but that's what he's doing. How many times have you felt like, I don't want to go to church? I've felt it loads. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to be here. How many times have you sung in Christ alone? A thousand, maybe? If you've been around church for the last 20 years, you've probably sung it loads. You're saying the same things. You're doing the same things over and over. But what happens when you take yourself in hand and you say to yourself, come on, I'm going to sing that song again. I know the words off by heart, but I'm going to sing it again. When you do that, it does something in your heart. When you take yourself in hand and say, I don't feel like going to church, but I'm going to get there anyway. It does something in your heart. The Holy Spirit moves. Right? He convicts. He, 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 he's like WD-40. Without sounding disrespectful, I hope, it's like WD-40 gets the cogs turning in your heart. Gets your heart beating again. So don't wait till you feel ready for church or don't feel, wait <clears throat> until you're ready to open your Bible or until you're ready to start praying. Get yourself to that place where you're going to hear gospel truths spoken. You're going to sing them. You're going to have them read over you. You're going to engage. And, and when you put yourself in that position, then you will start being stirred. Then the Spirit will start breathing fresh life back into you again. So preach the truth to yourself. <clears throat> that does take active response. Sixthly and finally, anticipate future blessing. There is hope. There's always hope. In verse 4, or 3 and 4, he's saying, Lord, send light, send truth. Then, when you do that, when I have breakthrough, then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, a kind of guitar. <laughs> oh God, my God. He's saying to himself, it won't be like this forever. It doesn't matter. Between us, it doesn't matter how intense and how black and how dark your spiritual depression may be. Of course, it matters. But you need to know because of God, <clears throat> it won't be like this forever. The clouds will part. The sun will shine. 
the ice will melt and you will be restored. You will be embraced. You will receive an experience of the love of the Father, perhaps even deeper than you have ever experienced before when you come through this. Anticipate future blessing. And through God, it is yours. If I were to finish the sermon just now, <clears throat> you might go away thinking, well, that's good, that's encouraging, I've got six things I can go and work on. Um, but that sermon itself would be somewhat incomplete because I need to tell you about the great hope, the great truth that underpins everything we've been speaking about. And listen to me, it's because of the gospel of Jesus and anyone who believes in that gospel, that good news, <clears throat> because of Jesus, you may feel far away from God. You may experience the most intense spiritual depression. But because of Jesus, you are never actually far from God. Because of the good news of Jesus, you are never actually cast off from God. Because God will never really be absent because of what Jesus has done. How does that work? How do, how do we know this is the case? Well, you see, when, when Jesus, in the gospel, when Jesus went to the cross, he was grieving the, the, the devastating absence of his father. Jesus, this is, the son, who's only known total and complete and blissful intimacy with the father from before the foundations of the earth in some deep and profound way he experienced the absence of his father in, a, in, a, in an unrepeatable way. He thirsted in ways that no one of us can ever thirst or ever will thirst. His soul thirsted for God with a thirst that could not be quenched. In the Garden of Gethsemane and on the cross, he cried out to God and yet he had no answer from his father. And he was grieving as he contemplated the cross, so much so, so intense was his spiritual depression that he sweat blood. He said to God, why have you forgotten me? From the cross, he said, why have you forsaken me? Why have you rejected me? I've been oppressed by the enemy, says Jesus. An unfaithful nation has crushed me. And they put him to death. And yet... And yet, <clears throat> he didn't give up, did he? Because Jesus knew that his terrifying death would not be the end, that there is more to come, that the, the, the story continues. And he said to himself, O soul, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. See, Jesus saw beyond this horrifying death, being stricken by God and, and, and afflicted, and he looked forward to a time of future joy when, when he rose to eternal life, a, a time when Jesus, having beaten death, will lead his people into the presence of God with shouts of joy and praise, as it says here. And so that is why, friends, that <clears throat> when we trust in Jesus and we trust that Jesus and his work applies to us, then Every believer in Jesus who feels far from God never is far from God or never is ultimately cast off 
because Jesus has already been there. Jesus was cast off so that you never will be. And so you might feel it. You might feel in the depths of despair, and those are real feelings. But we need to find our hope and our strength in the gospel because the cross was not the end. Amen? The resurrection happened, and then the ascension, and then the day of Pentecost when he sent his spirit and the promise of him coming again. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Amen.